I encourage you to turn again to the book of Proverbs tonight, the 14th chapter and verse 4. Proverbs 14, 4. I'm sure that when I selected this passage a few weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago, and put it on the list of Proverbs that I wanted to consider with you on Wednesday nights, that I did so because um, I need so badly to get it and to apply it. And I think as we go along, uh, those of you who know me and my personality will see exactly why this verse Stands out to me. Proverbs 14, 4. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. It's a bit of a strange verse when you look at it first, and there are really probably three different ways that you can take it, three different kind of broad applications you can make. The first I would call the PETA application. PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Um, Part of what this verse actually is saying is that we ought to appreciate our oxen, our animals. And that's not an unbiblical idea. I'm not just kind of pulling that off the page out of nowhere. If you turn back just a page or so in your Bible to... Proverbs 12.10, you'll see that Solomon tells us there that a righteous man has regard for the life of his animal. And it's perhaps true that Solomon is hinting at that here in chapter 14, verse 4. He's reminding people, especially in this agrarian society that he lives in, your animals are important. Without them, there's no food in the manger, in in the feed trough. Without the oxen, the feed trough is clean. Without the oxen, there's little revenue. And so in the culture in which he lives, and really in any culture, um, we can take from Proverbs 12.10 and from Proverbs 14.4, Solomon saying animals are important and a righteous man has regard for them. Now that can be taken obviously way too far to the point where people want to save the whales more than they want to save the babies or eternal souls. But also it can be totally ignored. Um, as people are cruel to animals and unnecessarily kill them and so on. So that's one thing. Um, I don't think that's the main thing, but I don't want to just miss what Solomon is saying. He is saying to those folks, your animals are important and be thankful for them. So there's the PETA application. Then there's the 1950s version of Proverbs 14.4. That is, when you read this verse, you should say to yourself, Hard work pays off. Hard work pays off. If you lay around on the couch, if you don't get out in the fields and get the oxen out of the stalls and get the plow moving, then there won't be any food, he says. Not even in the oxen's manger. And there won't be any revenue either. And so I call this the 1950s version because people then seem to know a bit more about hard work than we do today, but hopefully it might become the version of the 21st century too. Hard work does pay off and is important in the Christian life. You can't expect to succeed in life and in the Christian life unless you're willing to work hard, unless you're willing to break a sweat, unless you're willing, as it were, to get out the oxen, to get out the plow, to get out in the fields, and to get to work. And that principle can be applied in all sorts of areas, in farming, of course, but in any other vocation. Whatever it is that you do, Every day, 
whether it's working in the home or working at some workplace, hard work is important to God. It's here in the Proverbs, not just here, but again and again and again and again. Solomon talks about hard work. It can be applied not just to your job, but to your free time. Do you kind of lazy around in your free time, or are you productive for the Lord? It can apply to your prayer life. Is your prayer life kind of lazy, kind of come what may, or, or do you work at it? Can apply to your Bible study? Do you skim the top of the verses or do you actually work hard and dig deep? It can apply to raising your children. All sorts of things. Hard work pays off. And again, if the shoe fits and God needs to say to you tonight, hard work pays off, hard work is important to me, then hear that and take it to heart. Both of those applications, I think, fit the text. There is something to be learned in Proverbs 14.4 about the treatment of animals and about the value of hard work by humans. But I think the third take on Proverbs that I'm about to present you, Proverbs 14.4, probably gets closest to Solomon's heart and closest to the main point of what he's trying to say. So the third application, the third direction that these verses take us, and I think the main direction they take us, is to tell us that progress is messy. If you're going to do anything well and you're going to progress in it, you're going to succeed in it, it's going to be messy. Now read the verse again and then I'll explain what I mean. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. Now let me see if I can paraphrase what I believe Solomon means. He's saying if you don't own any oxen, then you don't have to fool with cleaning out the stalls and scooping up the poop and filling in the manger with food throughout the day. If you don't have any oxen, the manger's clean. You don't have any mess to worry about. And that sounds like a good thing. (laughs) No mess, nothing to clean up, nothing to worry about. That's great. But then he says in the second half of the verse, however, if you don't have any oxen, You also can't drive your wagon into town to sell your corn. Because who will pull the wagon? Indeed, if you don't have any oxen, you can't even plant the corn. Because who will pull the plow? And so if you don't have any oxen, the manger is clean. Yes, there's no mess to worry about. Yes. But at the same time, if you don't have any oxen, then you miss out on the much revenue, which comes by the strength of the ox. Oxen can be messy, But if you want to do well as a farmer, you need them. You need the mess in order to make the revenue. Now Solomon is not simply concerned with oxen and corn, I don't think. I think in this proverb, as with all the proverbs, he's laying down a general principle. He doesn't want us to say, well, I don't have any oxen and I don't need oxen because I buy my corn at Kroger's and I use my car to get there and therefore this doesn't apply to me. He's laying down a general principle. If you want progress, if you want revenue, to use his word, if you want profit, if you want gain, if you want to succeed, whether it's with corn or dollars or education or come what it is, then you have to be willing to get your hands dirty. You have to be willing, he's saying, to deal with the messiness that comes with that progress and that work. Just to give a few examples, if you want to build a barn, you're going to have to deal with with the mess that sawdust creates. If you don't want the sawdust, you can't have the barn. If you want the barn, you have to take the sawdust with it. If 
you want to run a small business and succeed at it, you're going to have to deal with tax paperwork and personnel problems and all those things. If you want to raise children for Jesus, you have to deal with dirty diapers and dirty kitchen floors and as they get older, sometimes dirty looks too. Almost anything that you want to do and almost anything that's worthwhile Anything that you would succeed in, anything where you would want to make progress and grow and succeed and produce profit and revenue is going to come with complications. It's going to come with headaches. It's going to come with frustrations and messes. And everyone wants progress. Everyone wants to succeed at whatever it is that interests them. Everyone wants the revenue in 14.4b. But not everyone wants to deal with the mess that it takes to get there. Matthew Henry, the commentator, also living in an agrarian society, says this, and I think it's helpful. This verse shows the folly of those who addict themselves to the pleasures of the country but do not care for the business of it, who, as we say, keep more horses than cattle, more dogs than swine. To put that into modern terms, there are lots of people who who have this romantic idea about what it would be like to live on a farm. But they really, when it comes down to it, don't want to scoop poop and go out in the morning at 5 o'clock and put feed out for the animals. And so they never move to the farm. They stay in the suburbs and they just get a big dog. And every once in a while they go somewhere and go horseback riding. They want the revenue. They want the feeling. They want the success. But they don't want the mess that comes with it. And I'm tempted here, just as an aside, to think about grandparents. There are one or two grandparents here. Everyone loves the revenue, so to speak, of the chubby cheeks that you can kiss and being able to cheer when the child takes their first steps and being able to video it when you have the first bike ride. Everybody wants the good stuff. But it's another thing when those same kids are waking you up at 3 in the morning, right? Or running up your grocery bill or tearing up the interior of your car. So the kids are going to grow and you're going to have all those happy moments. It comes with a messy price, which is why so many people love being grandparents. They get to watch the progress, but not deal with the mess. They get to watch the children grow while they still get a full night's sleep. And so that's the thing that we all struggle with. We wrestle between, I really want to do well, I want to push forward in this, I want to work hard, but if I go after this, it's going to come with some problems. And, and am I willing to weigh that out and go for it? Progress is messy. Revenue is messy. That's why right now, while lots of people are, are talking up how good of an idea it is to have a vegetable garden in your backyard, very few people are actually doing it. You talk to people, and I'm one of these people that's saying, oh, man, it's, if you can put a vegetable garden in your backyard, it's such a smart thing with the economy. You can grow your own vegetables. It's great. But honestly, I don't want to get out there and dig in the dirt and get my hands all muddy. I don't want to be tracking mud in the yard. I don't want to have to go out there and remember to water every day during August. I don't want corn silk all over my floor as we shuck the corn. I don't want dead leaves and plants to deal with in the wintertime. And so I don't have a garden And so I have to admit, and here's why I said I picked this verse because it speaks so directly to me. I have to admit that I sympathize with the first half of the verse. I like things, often to a fault, to be clean 
and neat and tidy and orderly and simple and under control. And sometimes I like those things so much to the point that I may miss some opportunities. I may miss some revenue because I want to keep the manger clean. You know, if we had oxen, then we could, we could plow this field and we could supply all our own food in these difficult times. Yes, 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 but then we'd have, to, we'd have to feed them every day and we'd have to clean out the stalls and we'd have to scoop the stuff and all that. I, I don't know if I want to fool with that. Let's just go to Kroger's. I know it's more expensive, but let's just go to the store. Now, that's, that can be a problem. That's what Solomon is saying. That kind of attitude where everything has to be orderly so much so that you can't do certain things that might be profitable for you, that's a problem. I don't know if I could ever go into business for myself because I wouldn't want to look at stacks of paperwork. There would be too many variables for me, too many headaches to deal with. It's the same reason why I don't invest in the stock market. I don't want the hassle of having to learn all the things and study all the things and look at all the things online. I'd rather just stick the money in the bank, but I make far less money than I might. Over here. And don't anyone come up to me afterwards and tell me, you know, there's this thing, E-Trade, it's really easy. I've already decided. I've tried to apply this to myself, but I, I do think I'm stopping with the stock market. Sometimes it can be right. Sometimes it can be right to want order and simplicity. There are a lot of good things, biblical things about that. Especially if there are other more important messes that you need to get yourself involved in. But sometimes I and you might miss opportunities because we want everything just the way we want it and aren't willing to deal with the mess. Let me just give you one actual example from my life and then go into some application. Just one example. Toby is homeschooling our children. I think most of you know that. And I'm thankful that she's doing that. She will do a lot better job than me because if I were the one doing the primary teaching our kids would probably have one or two drawers with their books and their worksheets in them, maybe some blank sheets of paper and a notebook and a few yellow number two pencils, and we'd be sitting at the kitchen table, and that's all we do all day, sit at the kitchen table and write with our pencils and do our work. And they probably would learn some things, but it wouldn't go over too well, I don't think. There wouldn't be much revenue, much progress out of that. But Toby, on the other hand, has set up a schoolroom in our basement. And she's got down there all different kinds of colors on the walls. She's got pictures. She's got easels. She's got floor puzzles. She's got all kinds of little gadgets, all these things. And when I walk in there, it just makes me go crazy. I can't, I can't stay. I couldn't sleep in there, I don't think. It's too messy. And yet, and yet, there's revenue in that kind of mess. She's willing to do all that and put up with all that and keep track of all that and think about all that because she wants the kids to succeed. And all kidding aside, it must mean, and all personality traits aside, it must mean that she's probably a little bit more serious about the kids succeeding than I am or than I would be if I were in her shoes. I don't know that I would be willing to have the room all messed up and my life topsy-turvy for the sake of my kids like she is. I want a clean manger, you see. I want a tidy house. And where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. Where there's not a mess, sometimes we can be happy, but sometimes we miss out on the success and the progress that God would have us make.
So I hope you see the point Solomon is making. And the point more than that that God is making to us and maybe to some of us very specifically. Progress is messy. If you and I have always to have things just the way we like it. If everything has to happen on schedule or to go as planned. Or if we can't deal with headaches. If the manger has always to be clean, then we will probably miss out on a great many opportunities and a great many blessings. Now, some of us, on the other hand, may be messy and chaotic by nature, and Solomon is not saying that there's any inherent goodness in that particularly. Having a helter-skelter way of doing things won't necessarily bring in more revenue. Indeed, sometimes... It will often foil your plans and impede your success. And so if the shoe fits there, wear it. But for me, personally, and maybe for some of you, or maybe for some of you in specific areas of your life that we'll get to, we mustn't allow the pendulum to swing back all the way in the other direction. We mustn't be so addicted to order and cleanliness and schedules and so on that we miss out on opportunities to be blessed and to be a blessing. For when we think about the revenue that comes in, it blesses us, whatever it is. But God blesses us, Psalm 67, so that we can bless others and so that the nations might fear Him. So every missed opportunity is not just a missed blessing for you, but it's a missed blessing that you can pass on to someone else who might then see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So then, let me make some applications to this. Specifically, some applications to our spiritual lives. I think I've said enough to where in your work and in your dealings with your money and so on, this verse might be helpful to you. But I want to make some applications to the spiritual life because as I said, Solomon isn't mainly concerned, perhaps not even primarily concerned with corn and cows or with money and physical monetary revenue he's laying out a general principle here that applies to farming and work and money but isn't limited to those things there are numerous ways that we may miss out on spiritual revenue because we don't want to deal with the mess we don't want to get dirt under our fingernails we don't want to take the necessary risks if the manger in our lives always has to be clean, if things always have to be orderly, if the schedule always has to remain intact, if there are certain subjects and or people with whom we cannot deal, then we will remain much more spiritually poor than God intends for us to be. So let me just mention five points of application to the spiritual life where Proverbs 14:4 can be applied. And then I'll conclude with some motivating thoughts. Five things. Proverbs 14.4 applies, number one, to child rearing. To child rearing. I joked already about grandparents and how it's easier sometimes to be a grandparent than a parent because you don't have to deal with the mess. And there's a reason why all of you know what I mean and why several of you cracked a smile. Because you know that rearing children, especially if you do it the right way, can be messy. And not just when they're in diapers. If you're going to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that can become very messy because it means that you have to spend extra time with them to explain things and to be intentional about things and to instruct them in God's Word, not just to deal with them as a drill sergeant would. 
Training your children up to be happy in the Lord means that sometimes they're going to tear stuff up. They're going to cost you money. They're going to sometimes rend your heart and so on. And therefore, some people go way to the extreme of just neglecting their children altogether. But many of us don't go to that far extreme, but we're still too far in that direction. Because if we keep our hands to the plow, if we overlook the mess, if we forgive the pains, that's one thing. And the children will do well. But if we're not willing to forgive the pains and overlook the messes and put in the time, then what happens to us? We become sharp? Or we just let them run loose and think their own thoughts and do their own things? But if we will put in the time, if we will put our hands to the plow, if we will overlook the messes that child rearing creates, it will be well worth it. And so the application is simple. And I have to force feed this to myself as I try to preach to myself. The application is don't shortchange your kids because it's hard or it's inconvenient to do it the right way. Don't shortchange your kids. Give them your very best. Don't allow the fact that it's not convenient or that you're short on time or that they might make a mess cause you not to give your children the time and the effort that God requires of parents and that your children desperately need. And if you're a parent, I would just ask you, are you doing that? Are you taking the easy road with your kids? Or are you taking the time and the patience to do things right? Just a few examples. Are you really disciplining them, training them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Or are you just yelling at them? to get them to do what you want them to do? Or are you neglecting them and just letting them do what they want to do because it's too hard to put in the effort to talk to them, to sit them on your knee and explain what God says to them? Are you training them yourself? Are you leaving that primarily to others? Sunday school teachers, teachers and so on. Those people are great help, but they can't supplant your role. Make sure you don't allow that to happen. Are you modeling the gospel for your children? It takes effort and it's messy when you blow it to have to go back to your children and humble yourself and confess your sins to them and then explain to them that you need Jesus just the same way you're telling them they do. That's hard. That's inconvenient. But it has to be done. So as a parent, time, effort, humility, putting up with the difficulties, are you doing those things? If you had no children, everything would be easy and the manger would be clean. Not everything would be easy, but you you see what I'm saying. You wouldn't have all these headaches. But much revenue, much blessing comes through your children. Make sure you put in the effort to bring it out of them. Secondly, we can say Proverbs 14.4 applies to ministry opportunities. Opportunities that we have to be ministered to or to minister to others within the context of God's people. Are you involved in any work in the church? All of you pretty much who are here tonight are. And you know that it's messy if you're going to involve yourself, put yourself on a limb in the church, some jobs more than others. The nursery is obviously messy, isn't it? The diapers and the screaming children and all those things. 
But what about Matthew 18, where Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go to him and, and try to win him over. That's messy too, isn't it? You don't have to be assigned to do that. You don't have to be voted on to do that. It's just there and everybody does it. And it's messy. And some of us aren't willing to do that because it's too messy. We're afraid of the backlash that might come. We're afraid of the tension that might exist in the relationship. And so we just don't help one another that way. Prayer can be a messy thing because it takes so much time, time that we could use doing something quote-unquote productive. You ever feel like that? I've got to be doing something productive. And prayer challenges us in that way. Some of you served at VBS this year or have in past years, and you know that that just takes away your entire week. That's messy. Inviting someone here. Ben was here, and those are the other two guys that went to India with Mark and I, and I've been thinking about India going, I don't think I could ever go there. In fact, it would be really hard for me to move into the third world as a missionary because it's dirty and it's hot in most of these places and it's backwards and the whole thing is just messy. I wouldn't be able to live the way I want to live. And I have to think to myself, is that how I make my decisions about who I'm going to minister to and where and how and when? So it's true... I think if we can change the wording up in verse 4 a little bit, where no ministry is, the schedule is clean. Where no ministry is, your hands are relatively clean and your heart is free from all the potentially anxious moments. But much revenue comes by the work of the ministry. Profit for the church, profit for the kingdom, profit for the person that you're ministering to, profit to the Lord as He is pleased with your service, and even profit to you when you serve others. Because, as we heard a couple of Friday nights ago from Ephesians 6-8, whatever good thing each one does, that will he also receive back from the Lord. When you wade through the mess and say, I'm going to minister to this person or minister in this area, in spite of all the challenges that are there, in spite of the inconvenience, there's reward there. So progress in ministry is often messy, to be sure, but it is worth it. And if you've done it, and most of you have, you know that it's worth it. So whatever your reservations may be about a particular area where God might be calling you to serve, leave those reservations with the Lord and get your hands dirty for Him. Thirdly, Proverbs 14.4 applies to people in need of your help. These kind of number two and number three kind of meld together. Ministry in general and now specifically Proverbs 14.4 applies to people who are in need of your help. People are like oxen in some ways, aren't they? They can be a great blessing to you, but they can be really messy in a lot of different ways. And so to reach out to people, to help them, to befriend them, to minister to them, sometimes is a challenge for us. So I ask you, I wonder if there's someone in your life, neighborhood, work, church, family, that you are perhaps avoiding reaching out to because of the potential inconvenience. She's such an odd sort of woman. You know, if you get into a conversation with her, you never know what she might say. I think I'll just eat lunch over here today. If you talk to him, he might corner you He's a close talker, you know, and he might corner you for 30 minutes and you won't be able to get away. You spend your whole lunch hour talking to this one guy. I think I'll just eat lunch over here today. Or 
it's not the person who's odd and angular, but just you say to yourself, well, we don't really have anything in common. If I try to sit with her, she's all alone. But if I try to sit with her or if I try to talk to those visitors, I wouldn't know what to say. And I'd end up feeling ridiculous and probably looking ridiculous, too. And I wonder if that's the reason why some of us perhaps don't always attend to the visitors that we have as well as we might. I'd like to think, and I think it's true to say that you're not, some of you, avoiding the visitors because you're callous. Maybe you just don't notice them. But I wonder if some of us don't go and and greet the visitors and introduce ourselves to them because we feel awkward. What am I going to say? What's your name? Okay, I'm so-and-so. Um, do you live around here? Yes. Um, okay, nice to meet you. And you don't want to get stuck there, and so you just kind of you kind of shuffle shuffle on by. And I think that happens to a lot of us. We just see people, and we're just not so sure that we want to get tangled up because it might get more complicated than we're ready for. I'll give you another personal example. Today, um, at the doctor's office, um, the nurses were being speaking a little bit more uh, loudly than they needed to be, and they were announcing after a man walked out of the office that he had AIDS. And then he came back in, and then when we were leaving, he went back out, and we were on the elevator together, and I found myself kind of scooting. You can't catch AIDS from standing next to someone in the elevator. I found myself kind of scooting back to the back. And I don't know if I would have stood a little bit closer to him if I would have talked to him or God would have provided an opportunity to share the gospel and he would be saved. I'm not saying that. But I'll never know what God may have done because I was averse to even being around the guy or speaking to him. And maybe you feel the same in certain situations. Maybe it's not for you a specific person, but a type of person. It's not out of the realm of possibility that some of us not... Um, or do not go to the city gospel mission because we wouldn't want to be around those kind of people. I would hate to think that that were true, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that it might be true for some of us. Some of us see the perplexed, mangy-looking man walking around near our neighborhood, and we, not for safety reasons, but just for reasons of disgust, wouldn't think about going up to him and offering to buy him a cup of coffee and talk to him about Jesus for five minutes at the UDF. Maybe for you it's people of other nationalities. You say, I don't understand their accent. I'm not sure I understand their culture. They have different ways of thinking about the world, maybe different hygiene habits. And so you just avoid befriending those kinds of people. Maybe it's certain neighborhoods in the city that you look down upon. Maybe some of us even have issues black and white. But in all these areas and in all these situations, things can become quite tangled, can't they? These complex social issues, issues of time. How much time is this going to cost me if I invest in this person? Misunderstanding, not being willing to risk hurt feelings perhaps, sanitary issues, all kinds of reasons why we just keep our distance from people. But these people, we need to remember, need ministering to just like we do. They need a friend just like we do, and they need Jesus just like we do. So it is true, where there's no helping hand, the manger is clean and the hand stays clean. There's little risk involved, but a great blessing comes when we reach out in Jesus' name.
to the least of these. Fourthly, Proverbs 14.4 applies to our own personal sin habits. Our own sin habits. They're messy. To deal with them is even sometimes messy. The sin itself is messy, but then when we start to think, what would it take for me to give that up? That becomes complicated as well. It's just like the ox. Hey, this might be a great thing if we had oxen, but it sure would be complicated too. It might be a great thing if I could get rid of this sin habit, but boy, it's going to be complex. It's going to be inconvenient. If I begin fighting against this sin habit, it might mean I have to drive a different route to work so I don't pass by that billboard or that store anymore that tempts me. It might mean I have to limit my Internet use. It might mean I have to change my dietary habits. It might mean I have to start putting some extra time into Scripture memory. And we say to ourselves, all these things would really kind of be a hassle, actually. More time to get to work, less time on the Internet, less food, or more water to drink for me, or extra time in my Bible. That's what it's going to take for me to get over this sin habit. That's messy. That's hard. And for some of us, it's not just what it takes to get over the sin habit that is so hard. It's actually the sin habit itself, just the idea of losing it. You know, for some of us, we have certain sins that have just become a part of who we are. It's like our persona. The ones I thought of particularly are things like gossip and complaining. Some people gossip and complain so much that it becomes part of who they are. And if they stop gossiping and complaining, not only would their coworkers and their family not recognize them, but they wouldn't feel like themselves. They've built their identity around being able to complain and getting people to feel sorry for them. And so they would say, it's hard for me to let go of that. That's who I am. That's how I get my sympathy. And all these are the very reasons why some of us continue on in our sins. Because to do otherwise would be too much trouble, would require too much effort, and would mess up our lifestyles. And if that's how you want to do it, that's fine. You can keep your manger clean. You can keep your life intact. You can keep your schedule straight. But a clean manger, so to speak, may mean a dirty life. Clean schedule, a comfortable lifestyle may mean a dirty lifestyle. Which is more important? Or maybe for you the mess would be the embarrassment that would come with it trying to overcome your sins. Because when you try to overcome your sins, you have to confess your sins to one another, James 5.16, and pray for one another that you may be healed. And that is messy. Because now somebody knows what you're doing. And they're going to hold you accountable. And that's messy too, because now you have to always be thinking, what's so-and-so going to say? When's he going to ask me? When she's going to ask me about this issue in my life? And maybe for us, some of us, it's that particular issue, the issue of embarrassment, that's the mess that we're afraid of. And so we continue on in our sin. And again, you can go that route. But know this, where there's no confession, where there's no accountability, the reputation is clean, but much revenue, much life change comes on the strength of confession and accountability. Finally, fifthly, Proverbs 14.4 applies to conversion to Christ. Conversion to Christ. For the same reasons I just mentioned under number four, some people delay long in coming to Jesus or in publicly professing their faith in Jesus. Because repentance and faith can be, again, quite messy. If you really repent and really believe, that means you're going to be putting aside certain sins and you're going to be confessing certain sins 
and where necessary and possible, you're going to be making restitution to people for things that you've done to them. And you're going to be making a real commitment to the church of your time and your money and your heart and so on. And that's not easy, is it? Especially for those of us who perhaps have grown up religious and walked an aisle and been through the waters and joined the church and told everyone that we're saved, it wouldn't be easy for us then to realize that none of it was real and that we were perhaps just wanting fire insurance without repentance or that we just had an emotional surge in a meeting one time or that all 12-year-olds, you know, in the Baptist church, we just, we eventually, we get baptized. It would be a quite difficult thing if you live your whole life pretending to be a Christian to have to admit now that you're not. That would be messy. That would be difficult. And so people say to themselves, I'm going to have to admit that I was playing church. I'm going to have to admit that it was a sham. I'm going to have to admit that the last 10 or 20 years I've been a phony. And I'm going to have to do all that publicly because if I'm going to actually profess Christ publicly, they're going to say, didn't you do that before? What happened in the last 10 years? And it can be an embarrassing thing. And that may delay people from coming to Jesus. The embarrassment or the commitment that's involved or the real repentance that's involved. But I urge you, if that's you, I hope it's not, but if that is you and God has been speaking to you and saying, is it really real that you won't delay a minute longer? Because repentance and faith are messy, but they are worth it. Just like the ox. It's messy, but it's worth it. And if a farmer can go through all that mess and trouble to get corn and the revenue that comes from the field, surely you and I can endure the inconvenience of embarrassment and real commitment and real repentance to gain the revenue of eternal life. But finally, here's a motivation for you. Here's a motivation to, to do the hard things, to do the inconvenient things for God's sake. If the revenue that I've spoken of isn't enough motivation, the revenue of having Christ-focused children, of having fruitful ministry flowing from your life, the revenue of being able to bless the least of these, the revenue of being able to overcome your sins and the revenue of gaining heaven and in all these things pleasing God, if you need even more motivation than all those blessings that come when you get your fingers dirty, when you inconvenience yourself, then consider 2 Corinthians 8-9. You can turn there if you like. We'll finish with 2 Corinthians 8-9. Why should you get messy? For Jesus, Why should you deal with inconveniences for Jesus? Well, because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. What's Paul saying there? He's saying Jesus could have stayed in heaven where he was rich. He could have stayed in heaven where there were no problems, where there was no sin, where the angels adored him day and night, where there was no opposition, and where there was no cross. He could have stayed there. He could have avoided all the mess that we often find ourselves trying to avoid. He could have avoided all the people that we try to find ourselves trying to avoid. could have stayed in heaven where the manger is clean, so to speak. But instead of staying in heaven where the manger is clean, he came to this sin-sick world where the manger was filled with dusty straw and he laid his head there. And though he was rich, 
For your sakes, he became poor. And consider just briefly how Jesus became poor for you and me. How he inconvenienced himself for you and me. How he got tangled up in your mess and mine so that we might be saved. Born in a stable to the kind of poor rabble that many of us feel uneasy with and avoid. That's what Mary and Joseph were. They were the people that live in the neighborhoods that sometimes we want to look down upon. He lived his whole life around the filth of sin that he'd never experienced or been a part of. He was tempted in every way that we are. He didn't have to do that. He was tempted more than we are because in Matthew 4, remember, we read that the devil himself showed up in some sort of a visible form, it would seem, and tempted him personally. He didn't have to do that. But he put up with the mess for us. He also put up with the slander and the false accusations of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and so on. He put up with the disciples constantly letting him down. He didn't have to do that either. He could have said, these 12 guys are a bunch of numbskulls. I'm just going to do this myself. But he put up with them for our sakes. And finally, he was spat upon and slapped and beaten in the head and whipped across his back and crucified. And he didn't have to do any of it. Second Corinthians reminds us. He was rich. He had the perfect situation. Everything was planned out. Everything was going well. Everything was working the way it should have. And yet, for your sake, he became poor. To gain the revenue of your eternal soul, Jesus endured the mess without complaining. And even in gaining your soul, he brought more mess upon himself, didn't he? Don't you lay a lot of mess at Jesus' feet? And so he's still enduring it. So I conclude then with a slight alteration of a famous quote. C.T. Studd, who was a missionary leader um, and instrumental in Helen Rosevere's life, whom we learned about in December, said this famously, If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to endure for him. If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to endure for him. And I say, in light of Proverbs 14:4, if Jesus Christ is God and inconvenienced himself for me and entered into the mess that I have created for myself, for me, and entered into the world of sin for me and laid on a bed of straw for me and died for me, then no mess or inconvenience or dirty fingernails or awkward moments are too great for me to endure for him. Where there is no going hard after the Lord, the manger is clean. Where there is no going hard after the Lord, life works out without as many kinks. But there is much revenue in seeking first the kingdom of God.